save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Well, Seton, uh, of course, Matt Harris, Seton Tucker, grateful that you've been with us since June of 2021. We recorded the episode that's coming up as we were waiting for the verdict, not knowing that it was going to come in this quickly. So let's see, what was it, about two hours, something like that? Three? Three, three hours, Tops, okay. tops, yeah. yeah. Uh, it. it it's weird, right? That it's It was surreal. We were sitting in a restaurant waiting to see if it was going to happen or not. And there was actually one of the attorneys who was involved in the case was actually in the same restaurant. We saw him scoot out and we I think Fitz News had posted something was happening. So we quickly just paid our tab and headed to the courthouse. And uh, we all kind of knew whenever it comes back that quickly that it wasn't going to go well for Alec Murdoch. Uh, I think we were all leaning toward we were being found guilty, just didn't know how quick it would be. Yeah, guilty or hung. We knew it wasn't going to be an no, innocent no, verdict. No, knew that. No way. No way. And we just uh, were the, the restaurant bar that we were in before we left. We left some things there with some people that we've met through this. We came back in and uh, they told us it got dead silent as they played it on all the TVs. And then as the verdict was read, there was uh, massive cheers yeah. in the restaurant. And I was speaking to another friend who was in a bar in Charleston or a restaurant in Charleston, and the same thing. The, the, cheers. The, cheers. There was not a lot of empathy for Alec Murnock or not a lot of love for him, regardless of this. You know, people had good reason to despise him anyway. Uh, the family was in the courtroom, some of them. No, John Marvin was yeah, not there, but we, his sister Lynn and her husband and also Buster and his girlfriend were in the courthouse for the verdict. Right. Buster didn't show any outward tears, but, you know, he had to know getting in there. It's been a long day. His girlfriend appeared to be crying. Uh, Lynn was visibly upset, but I wouldn't say, like, crying. crying. I mean, they Balling. knew when it came back this right. quickly what, right. what it was going to be. And then Alec uh, turns, gets the handcuffs on him, mouths I love you, I assume to Buster, uh, and then it was taken away. Then Judge Newman gives his speech to the uh, jury. They can talk to people if they want, that sort of thing, and, you know, tells them how, what a great job they did, because they did, man. Jury, that is a hellacious job for uh, eight weeks. Yeah, six, uh, no, six, six weeks. weeks. Six yes. weeks, yes. It seemed like eight. It seemed like more to them, probably, because I wasn't here every single day like they were. But six weeks, yeah, that is a uh, that is a long time to commit to. It was 9.30 to 5, but some days it was 9.30 to 6, 9.30 to 6.30. Uh, it, was, it was a good effort by the jury. To, a, you got to commend them for sticking it out. Even Judge Newman says sometimes in these long ones, people are like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I, I guess the big, th you know, other than all that that affects everybody, the thing about us is, wow. Yeah. I can't believe this. What are we going to do? And currently, we're standing on a street corner in Walterboro, but yes. I don't know what we'll do next week. Yes, but the, 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 the key is, Dwayne, thank you. All the folks that from various media outlets that have helped us. I'll, I'll, 
we'll put together a real list because if I do it now, I'll miss people. Yeah, they have just really great camaraderie for the journalists here yes. and the people of Walterboro have been very welcoming and we really thank all of our listeners who have stuck with us a long way. As we've learned and grown and uh, made mistakes and accepted them and uh, it's just crazy. So we thank you. We're grateful you'd still reach out because we're going to do some more episodes. We're going to have to have some follow-up episodes to kind of gather in all of this, answer some questions, talk to some experts. Uh, so that'll be coming up soon. Hopefully you'll stick with us. Uh, Murdoch Podcast Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, and Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. And the only reason it's that for the person who complained because I already had that set up before I even started this podcast. But Seton gets to see the emails too. Um, and, and Oh, and the other thing is, the, re- the, the next part that we recorded, we recorded while we were waiting. Yeah. So if, if you're not interested in that, you can turn out because now you know he's been found guilty. Exactly right. The defendant will rise. Madam Clerk, you may publish the verdict starting with the back, not with the, let's see, starting with the back, flipping them over one by one. Okay. Docket number 2022 GS15-00592. The State of South Carolina, County of Colleton, in the Court of General Sessions, in the term of 2022, July, the State versus Richard Alexander Murdoch, Defendant, Indictment for Murder, SC Code 16-3-0010, CDR Code 0116, Guilty Verdict, signed by the Forelady, Impact of Influence, the Murdoch Family Murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful you're joining us again, and uh, you really have blown our minds over the last year and how you've made this podcast much more than we ever thought it would be and so grateful that you know we're up in the top 20 in true crime and that sort of thing it's it's fantastic and we're coming to a close uh matt harris and seaton tucker both in walterboro at the colleton county courthouse today we were in there watching the defense is closing argument and more but let's rewind to uh, i'm losing track of days seaton uh, that'd be wednesday yes uh creighton waters the closing argument in the uh, many, many week long, what are we, six weeks? Six weeks. Six week long trial for Alec Murdoch, uh, courtesy of Court TV. Here are some of the highlights. Maggie Murdoch and Paul Murdoch were brutally and maliciously murdered at the kennels by Alec Murdoch. His lies and guilty actions afterwards confirmed. So, there's kind of a, a highlights, if you will, of Creighton Waters and basically what he was trying to say during this. Well, I think the actual closing argument was a little over three, but with all the breaks and everything, it was well over four. And Seton, you were there for it. I was. Thoughts? I thought it was very long. Um, I thought maybe the jurors, he lost the attention of the jurors at, at points, but at the end, he finished very strongly. He really kind of bought it. The last 30 minutes, I thought, was good and you know someone pointed out to me yesterday that he may have had to go back through all of these things because the jury is not taking notes and 
their minds may need to be refreshed about a lot of the evidence that they have heard. But I think a lot of the, the financial stuff was just gobbledygook to them at this point. It's mush. I would have preferred he took a store, like made it a store. Well, two things I would have, and I'm no attorney, but I've talked to some uh, about it. The way he opened was kind of slow. I think he started with, you know, Alex being there, Alex murdering, not all the motive stuff first. Well, and I talked to an attorney and I thought this was a really good point is why not just kind of pick his worst financial victim, like Hakeem Pinckney, yes. who was already a deaf man and then became a quadriplegic. He's in this awful facility where his ventilator was unplugged mm -hmm. and subsequently died. Maybe the jurors would have really connected with that, or they may have connected with all of it. We don't know. But I think that was really probably his worst financial victim. So why not just kind of highlight instead of go over yeah. each one? And maybe people don't care about whether he stole from his already rich law partners. Uh, I 100% agree that it numbers, the kind of numbers he was talking about, 800,000 million, it just, that's hard for most people to wrap their head around. Do the emotional thing. These are the people he lied to. Bing, bang, boom, real quick. You know, he's up against it. And then get into the, the meat of who else could have been there in the time when we believe he was killed. Yes, and the, the common sense of it, or with these random vigilantes, that's what he, he he did. I felt that he was successful at the end. The end, yes. Highlighting that, like, what are, you know, use some common sense. You know, I'm not saying that he did so poorly, he's not going to get a conviction. It just seemed like four hours is a bit much. I know he long. has to get a light in there and he doesn't want to miss something, maybe. But it all comes down to Alec lied. Why did he lie? He, he was there within a three-minute window. They're dead. What are the odds? And he's admitted to lying multiple times throughout the course of this hearing. Yeah. I told Vinny Politan from Court TV, who was a prosecutor, I said, how about this line? Practicing my uh, no-degree attorney skills. <laughs> <laughs> I said, how about you look at the jury and you say, I bet there were times when he was talking to you, you were believing him. Because he's that good. He lied to all the people he knows. He might even have tricked you a little bit. But remember... He's lying. And, you know, get them to, you know, if they had any soft spot, maybe they're like, you're right. He's full of crap all the time. But then you got to get it to the murder. And uh, he also knew he had a good cleanup hitter coming in at the end. And we'll get to that. Maybe he was going to relieve the, the showmanship for the end, which we'll talk about in a bit. So let's move to the defense and their closing argument. And we'll have a, a few more clips because some of you may not have heard this yet. So we, we'll get to Griffin in a second. So Judge Newman, this morning, we had heard rumors, right? Seton, we saw each other last night at a soiree. And um, there was all kinds of rumors out there that there often are in a trial and courthouse setting. But we knew something was up. And so here is Judge Newman from this morning, 930, right out of the gate. I have, as you know, we've had some discussions with you over the past couple of days concerning... Um, uh, indications of conversations with uh, few folks not on the jury concerning the uh, the case and expressing some opinion about the case. Uh, I have reviewed everything, including um, statements given by individuals and recorded interviews and concluded that uh, Despite my order to not discuss the case with anyone 
that intentionally or unintentionally you've had some discussions with uh, some folks not on the jury and uh, which was is going to require me me to remove you from the jury what was interesting to me about that was a few things but but uh, one is that they walk her in and stand her up in front of everybody. It had to be humiliating. I mean, there's, what, 260 people yeah. in the courtroom? And a lot of people from Walterboro, or, or the college and county, at least, which she knows. And, and it's not like she did something egregious. Uh, she explained what the judge uh, had said they found out. Well, Judge Newman said that this juror offered her opinion to at least three individual. They weren't other jurors, but just three people. But... The judge tells the jury every single day, do not yep. discuss the case. Right, and right. So I guess she did discuss the case. He wasn't sure to the extent that she discussed the case. And then Sled investigated. They called these people in. They talked. To, and it just happened um, two days ago, he said. Now, the fact that Sled did the investigation made Dick Harpootlian stand up. No, he, he was not happy with that. I think he said... That sled has made another mistake, and he called it a calamity of errors. Exactly the note I wrote down. Yeah, that calamity of errors on this case by, you know, I see his point of maybe an independent person should have done the uh, investigation into who she talked to and stuff, if that's possible. I know, but who would that independent agency I don't be? No, that's I mean, that's true. That's true, I guess. Um, maybe a county agency, but it wouldn't, he would have been happy with that either. And it was at one point she. The jurors got the boot. He did say, hey, I love seeing you here every day. You had a great smile. And, she was attentive. And she spent, how many, what weeks? We six, six weeks. Six weeks. And now she can't do anything about it. And she's like, I, was it my ex-husband? And he <laughs> said, well, he, he, I'd heard about that, but he had nothing to do with my ruling. Because she, I bet she just couldn't, she was hoping it was his fault. No, <laughs> I think she's, she definitely was not happy. And then, this little conversation between Judge Newman and the juror was very interesting. Take a listen. Have you brought everything that you have outside of you left some stuff in there? What do you have in there? A dozen eggs. Say it again? A dozen eggs. A dozen eggs? Yeah, one of the other jurors brought in eggs for everybody from oh, the farm. So okay. eggs in my purse and not water. All right. Well, you're going to leave the eggs... You want to leave the eggs or take the eggs? You want to take the eggs. <laughs> so, Mr. Bailiff, can you retrieve from the jury room her dozen eggs, uh, her purse, and what else? And a bottle of water. You can get those things from the jury room. The whole place erupted in, in laughter because we're all a little, a little loopy anyway and uh you know you can only take every single thing so seriously but the fact that she had eggs he asked her if she wanted to leave them she said no i'm taking the eggs. eggs yes uh joe mccullough the attorney said his theory was she got the eggs at the beginning of the trial to see if they actually hatch by the time this thing's over a okay. good line <laughs> um so yeah so that was uh, interesting so they replaced her obviously with another juror so we're down to one alternate yes if something weird would happen but we're in it's in the jury's hands and you know what i have to fix the one alternate was the woman who has the blanket who had put something in her ears she is actually the alternate yes. and i said that i think maybe I, who knows how many episodes ago that was right about i thought that she was actually on the jury but no i was incorrect she is the remaining alternate and i i'm guessing that's why they didn't hurry to boot her 
because they're down to so little and they let her get away with a little because she's an alternate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, and hope it doesn't come down to that. So then uh, we move into defense closing. Griffin said, hey, I'm not going to make this long like waters, basically. Uh, and it ended up coming in about two and a half hours, I think, with a break in there. And he did apologize for them being there for six weeks. I think that was a slight on the prosecution and they're bringing in the volume of financial crimes that they did. Yeah. Uh, he started with, right away, had a picture of Paul, Maggie, Buster, and, uh, oh, and Alex. <laughs> um, so they could see the family photo, which, you know, was an obvious thing going on there and he said it's not natural to you to think that a defendant is innocent because they've been arrested they've been charged and you're just thinking in your head they got him they right. got him but he was also playing to the jurors i noticed he said you know i know he, he kind of used the sports analogy and he said you know i know some of your clemson fans and some of your georgia fan and there is one juror i've seen wearing a georgia shirt a couple of times you know what's funny uh, interesting about that is remember long ago snyder said if you're an attorney and you yes. see somebody with anything, you make sure you mention their school. For sure. So he worked it um, and, and became his uh, argument. And he said, I don't, I don't really want to call it an argument. But uh, he then talks about how the scales of Lady Justice should uh, you know, be at the end if you decide to convict him. And we like it because the cover art cover, cover art of the podcast is that scales. Yes, and he kind of goes into criminal criminal burden of proof is the most difficult. It's not like a civil where it's presumption. It's a preponderance of evidence. Yes, that's what I meant to say. So uh, here's a little clip. And you may have seen lawyers or judges or watched on TV as as they as they give a visual image of Lady Justice who's blind and who's blindfolded so she doesn't there's not bias for one side or the other, and, and there's scales on Lady Justice. And, and those scales are the scales of justice. And in a civil case, if one party proves their case by a preponderance of the evidence, meaning ever so slightly tilt those scales in their favor, then they're entitled to the verdict. There's another heightened level of burden of proof in a civil case called by clear and convincing evidence. And, and the law requires things like to prove fraud, fraud or <clears throat> some intentional acts. You have to prove by clear and convincing evidence. And that's an intermediate level of proof. And so it's not just tilt the scales ever so slightly in the favor of the, of, of the party that prevails, but, but you have to get sort of three quarters of the way there. But now proof beyond a reasonable doubt is the highest standard of proof the law recognizes. And it is you have to tilt the scales all the way to one side in order for the state to meet their burden. So one of the things that uh, Jim Griffin did is he brought out this big visual aid, which was of the uh, Colleton County's press release where they you know, said at this time there's no danger to the public, which was a better visual aid than the poor awful PowerPoint presentation that Creighton Waters team had the other day. It was not good. It was also very difficult to read. There was so much information on there, yeah. little bullet points. And I have thought this a little bit about the prosecution is they kind of have an editing problem. Maybe they need to edit. Yes. Yeah. Cause they, and it was somebody told me his PowerPoint from like 10 years ago or something. I mean, I'm not the greatest with technology 
So I, I'm not one to criticize, but it, it, it have seemed one better. Yeah, my 12-year-old can do better. But anyway, but that doesn't mean he's not a good attorney. I'm just saying that that, that PowerPoint was weak. I'm talking about the giant Colleton County press release he pulled out was to show that the defense is saying Alec Murdoch was the one and only person they were looking at right out of the gate. And they talk about a lot of the things that maybe they missed by, you know, allowing other vehicles to go in and not preserving tire tracks or footprints. A big thing that stuck out to me was that Maggie had some hair in her hand and we never even heard anything about it. Never, never again. He also, so so he, he, and I like the way he did the presentation because he'd list numbers. Like number one, tire tracks. Number two, Maggie, that handful of hair you just mentioned. Number three, the footwear impressions they didn't look at. Uh, Number four, they didn't take DNA from Maggie or Paul's clothes. And then the cell phone thing. Yes, to me, that was huge. The fact that they didn't secure it in this Faraday bag. I know they put it in the airplane mode. Maybe that was sufficient, but... They, didn't, they weren't able to get the GPS data off of her cell phone because they didn't look for it in time. What June 9th was the first day that they were able to get location data right. off of her phone. He, and they're saying, like, Alec kept asking you to get it, and you never, you know, you, you didn't do it. And it was interesting, too, that he brought up that, remember, if you remember back in the trial, the all the information from OnStar, from GSC, GMC, only arrived during the trial. And according to Griffin... He said, they just faxed it to GMC and they just let it there. Fax? <laughs> a fax? What year is this? Call somebody, man. So, you know, they, they were just saying he didn't have any, they didn't make a lot of effort. They also s- said that Alec was always saying, hey, what do you need? What do you, I'll give you anything and blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's debatable. <laughs> right, yeah. Especially the lie, the major lie that's going to be the, the biggest problem. And then we move on to the Labor Day weekend uh, suicide for hire whatever you want to call it at this point. And that's when Jim Griffin says, everybody, they kind of doubled down. And that is when Alec became a easy target, as he says. And so he continued with that theme of SLED not doing their job and even said, what was the words, uh, fabricating evidence? Yes. So they started off saying that maybe SLED didn't investigate properly. And then he goes a step further by saying SLED actually fabricated evidence. And that, what he was referring to in this particular case was the high-velocity blood spatter that Sled said when they took it to grand jury was on his T-shirt. Here's the exact quote from Jim Griffin. You heard Agent Zapata said we did hematrace confirmatory blood tests on that shirt. That means there was two types of tests. There's a presumptive test, which is what they use a product called LCV that makes it turn purple, where it might be blood. But it turns purple on other agents as well, including bleach, you heard. He also heard that the shirt came out of the bag wet and it smelled like detergent. Anyway, they, they spray it, it turns purple in places. So they think, well, that must be blood. Next thing they do at the sled lab is they do a confirmatory test to see if it's blood. Zero for 74. Not blood. Not blood. That didn't stop that didn't stop Sled from going out and pursuing, um, with vengeance, this report. They didn't give the no blood test result to the guy in Oklahoma, and 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 when it surfaced, when it surfaced, they had a problem on their hands, and they were pushing it up until this trial. And you heard the testimony from the stand that 
They went from Mr. Bloody Shirt leading up to this trial to Mr. Clean during this trial. That was not the only fabrication that uh, Griffin accused Sled of doing. Yeah, I don't know how this is going to play out for some of the jurors who may have connections in law enforcement. They might not like this. Of course not. And he, he goes back to the raincoat tarp thing. Yeah, he he talks about the raincoat and says that initially when John Marvin was asked about this raincoat, they said they found it in the back of the property, which was, I guess, not true. No, it was in the closet. Remember, folded up in the, in the bottom. And he goes on to something about saying... He, he got one of the sled officers to say, what was it, like trickery? I'm allowed to use trickery. Uh, and, and he's like, we make mistakes. And he said, but Alex's not allowed to make mistakes, which led them into the kennel video, which is the, the crushing blow for Alec in a lot of ways. And he says, when they got that video, Griffin says, in April 2022, they said, Eureka! And he goes on, Griffin does, to explain why Alec lied. Alex lied about being down in the kennels in Almeida. And, and why did he lie? And that is certainly a fair question. And that's, and, and, and frankly, I probably wouldn't be sitting over there right now if he, he had not lied. But he did lie. And he told you he lied. And he told you why he lied. He said he lied because, I mean, I, I tell you, he lied because that's what addicts do. Addicts lie. Um, he lied because he had a closet full of skeletons that he didn't want any more, any more uh, scrutiny on him. Which is the most ironic thing in the world because, depending on which day of the week, their theory is that he slaughtered his wife and son to distract from a impending financial investigation. But he puts himself in the middle of a murder investigation. And he puts himself in the spotlight of a media firestorm. That's their motive evidence. And we'll get to that. But he lied. He lied because of his drug paranoia kicked in. And he was clearly in the throes of addiction. And he lied for all those reasons. But what he didn't lie, what he didn't lie for is because he was covering up the fact that he killed Maggie and Paul. That is not the reason he did it. And so uh, he continued uh, after the lying thing, which what did you think about his lying, why Alec lied thing? It still didn't really make sense to me. I mean, he, he tried to explain it, but I, I, I didn't really find it compelling. And it didn't seem to back up what Alec said. Alec was like, uh, well, you know, he did mention paranoia, but Griffin kind of tried to go with, well, he lied at first and then had to stick with his lie. But Alec never said that. Yeah. So I mean, I, that lie is a problem, man. Yes, it is a problem. It's a major problem, and it's their biggest piece of evidence. So then he goes into uh, playing the clip again with Alex's voice in the background, you know, the kennel, the lying, and all that. And he talks about how, look at these guys. They're just talking about a, uh, did, did Bubba get a chicken or a guinea? And he, he goes like, you know, so how do you go from that to four minutes later massacring your wife and son? He also played a clip from Blanca and one from the kennel guy about how much he loved Maggie, uh, to, which I think... I knew that was going to have to come back because the whole thing you're going to have to try to hope that somebody thinks is how could he do that if he loved him so much? Yes. He went back to the storm thing and he was telling there's no storm and he said Paul wasn't supposed to come home and then he did and what is Alex say? Well, this would be a great time to kill Paul. I mean, you know, no evidence that Maggie knew anything about the financials so why take her out? He says at bottom maybe a month 
there were other hearings in the, in the last few months before that. Alec never killed anybody. That's what they were saying, even though those hearings got backed up. I will give him credit for the editing. We talked about Seth, ed- you know, editing of Creighton didn't have. Yeah. Because, like, on the videos, we're both short. They were. They were short, and I think made the points that he was intending to make. And that's, he was like TikTok world there. Uh, he talked about the family guns that the prosecution keeps saying. He said it's all a lie. They're, the guns that he put in evidence had nothing to do with the crime. They just wanted you to see them. The shotgun could have come from anywhere. They did not say it definitely came from that house. He also tried to argue that the ammunition that they found that they claimed were fired from the AER was fired in the property. He's like, well, that's not definitive science. But I don't know if he's buying, buying that. That was weak. Yeah. And the what ifs thing. The what ifs, he says, Paul goes to, uh, what if Paul goes to a Alex drug source and says, you better stop selling my dad drugs or I'm going to blackmail you. And then the guy comes and kills him. Well, and the judge shut that down very quickly. Yes. Well, as soon as he added to it, what if there was a dangerous drug gang and they objected and they stopped that in its track. He talked about how misremembering thing. Happens all the time to people. Well, that is true. It is true. He's like, I, I fight with my wife because I think I remember something. And Maggie's sister thought she was at Edisto and she wasn't. It, sometimes it's just misremembering. Prosecution is saying that he threw out the phone, Alec threw out the phone, but it didn't turn on the backlight. So that's why I didn't record any orientation. And there were some giggles when they talked about this uh, expert that they had on who conducted these tests out of his home and... Charleston. Yeah, he just like weekend. sat in his, in his he house. Sat around, throwing his phone around all weekend, and there—I mean, I think that was wasn't real science. I don't think. No. Yeah, and then he talks about how he how it's possible Alec could butcher these people, blood everywhere, and clean it all up in such a short period of time, like sixteen minutes or whatever it is. Oh, and he said buck naked on a yeah buck naked on his on hoses down. He's buck naked riding the golf cart back to his house. I mean, yeah. maybe. I mean, maybe. If you, no one's out I guess there. if you're shooting your wife and kid, who knows? That's you might do it. But now, of course, no one would see him. But yeah, so they said that. Yeah, do you expect him to happen? And he talked about the timeline that the prosecution is using is all based on the fact that they didn't use their phone. And he's saying that just because someone doesn't use your phone doesn't mean they're dead. And in a case of Paul, he brought up, Paul's was on 2%. And they said, and they did say in testimony that a lot of times when he was working around out there, he'd put it down. But it still didn't account for what, why Maggie wasn't on her phone. Well, he, he, he said at 8.55, when Maggie's taking those steps, yes, the prosecution is saying Alec was holding her phone and taking the steps. Griffin is saying, Maggie, what if Maggie's walking? Why does she have to be dead at that point? Can't she be taking the steps? And because somebody, there's an orientation change. Someone presses the side button. So maybe he said, maybe, you know, it's the same time as Alex calling. Alex is calling. She doesn't feel like talking to him because she's busy. Hits the button. I really think that that is one thing that this jury is probably asking for. Because Griffin goes through, and I think he was losing him a little bit at this point because it was orientation change. Backlight on. You know, kind of goes through each thing and the timestamps on each one of these things. So I think that the jury is going to ask for a lot of the testimony about Maggie's phone because I think that that is a big question. And that's what Griffin said he was going to do in his closing argument was to cover some of the questions that the jury may have. And I think there could be a lot better arts and crafts when it came to the, the, the timelines. I made it much clearer, yes. right? Don't you think? I do. Unless each side's kind of afraid to really claim that, so they can move around a little bit of wheel room now. But but I, yeah, they could have been way better. We're driving around trying to find 
bars. Waterboro has some spots of the cells are a little weak. So, okay, see, oh, the time of death, he talked about how the guy, that was weak, where the coroner says, put his hand on the armpit. Yes. That, I mean, that was weak, but I do still think that the, the cell phone evidence is legitimate about them not using their cell phone. He's saying, Maggie at 855 or 854 with those steps, why can't it be Maggie? The phone's moving. The, fame, the phone's doing thing. It's not done. Yeah. Only Paul's is done. Because it, it all goes to the 906 when it's tossed, you know. He says it makes no sense that Alec, why would he take Maggie's? He has the passcode. He could open it up, answer the phone, text Alec back, do anything he wants to change the timeline. That, I did think about that when he said that. And I thought, thought whoa, I, that's why you're paid the big bucks. And I thought that too. And I also thought, why would Alec only toss it like that? There's a million, I mean, maybe I guess he just panicked, but there's a lot of places you could toss it, right? Yes. That it would never be found. But maybe he thought it would be detected. I don't know. So we went through that thing. Talked about being a 17-minute magician is what he called him. Because you shoot everybody, you clean up, and you're in your car now. But 17 minutes, the shooting's only going to be a minute. Right? Well, I mean, it, if this one shooter scenario that the prosecution is contending, I mean, they were both killed within, what, a minute of each other? Yeah, so you still have a lot of time to play. And then he talks about how... This is the Buster clip. You can set that up. One of our listeners actually sent this to me a few days ago, and it was played during Griffin's closing argument. And one of the things that the prosecution was saying is that Elk didn't have concern about Buster's safety. So let's listen. Randy, what about Buster? You gotta get, um, Mr. Buster, can y'all get a police officer with my older son in Columbia? Difficult to hear. It's also the first time I've seen it pointed out in court, I think. Yeah, and I guess the significance of this is that Alec is asking for law enforcement to go make sure Buster is safe. And go to Columbia. Yeah. Yes. and then, But then they uh, counter later with, he never called. He only texted him. He never called Buster until like, what, 40 minutes or something. But the video shows that he's asking law enforcement. And we don't know if he asked any of the other family members to call Buster. No, but I did think the fact, he did seem concerned to me in that listening to that clip, it did seem if Ellick was concerned about Buster's safety. And when Griffin ended, he was emotional in talking about Paul and Maggie, because of course he knew them well. He called Paul his friend. Yeah, and so he uh, teared up a little bit. So that brought the rebuttal in South Carolina. The defense, the uh, prosecution gets to have a rebuttal, and they bring in the most animated of the people on the attorney general side yeah he yells at you a little bit but i mean i guess he's trying to emphasize his point and he uh john monk from the state paper told me that he's the son of a preacher and you can kind of sense that vibe with john metters here and here's a a bit of that where he's upset that murdoch is blaming it on law enforcement he is withholding and obstructing justice by not saying i was down at the kennels I was down at the kennels. I was down at the kennels. And he's going to blame everybody else. Is that offensive? Is that offensive? Mr. Griffin said a minute ago, can you imagine coming up on the scene and seeing? Can you imagine not telling law enforcement, lying that I was down there and I saw him? I was right there. Why wouldn't you tell them that? Maybe get some more evidence. Did you hear somebody? No, I wasn't even down there. I thought the rebuttal was great. 
yeah, I definitely think he chipped away at some of what I felt was Jim Griffin's very strong. Yeah, closing. strong. The energy that he had, it, it was about, what, how long do you think it was? An hour? It, I think it was right at an hour, maybe maybe slightly over. Yeah, but it was, it was the right amount of time. And one thing he did mention, he says, you know, you talk about the Bubba. Bubba was the one. Thank God for Bubba. And he says, if you listen closely, they say they were talking nicely, but he's yelling, Bubba, come here, Bubba, come here. And he's screaming it at the, at the juror, Bubba. He says, you can tell he's angry. Yes. And, and the other thing that he really, I think, hammered home was common sense. Use common sense. And I think that's what they're hoping this jury will do is maybe, is it, is it really plausible that he was not in some way involved? And they, he talked about... You know, why wouldn't he go see his mom earlier in the day or his dad before they went to the hospital? The mom has Alzheimer's. You're supposed to, you, everybody knows you see those uh, people in the daytime. Um, and he played up a lot of Shelly and Blanca because I think they're two of the most sympathetic people. So why not bring them up again and how Alec tried to persuade them? And he did talk about law enforcement and that law enforcement was not the one on trial at this hearing Alec Murdoch was. And I think... That could be strategic because if there are jurors that have law mm -hmm. enforcement ties, they may not like the way the defense has beat up on law enforcement. And he brought up the you know, the shoes, the Sperry shoes, you know, how they suddenly go missing. Blanca knows where clothes are. Uh, and, I, you know, I think it was just a, a very good end to it. Uh, he talked about don't think about Alec Murdoch as rational, which he was hinting at is saying you're going to say a rational person wouldn't kill his mom or his wife and his son. But he said, look what happened on Labor Day weekend. A rational person wouldn't have someone come over to kill him and then lie about it being some sort of person who he had the, the sketch artist draw. And they, they, they hint at the fact that maybe he snapped. Yes, they do. Yes, they did. And uh, then that was that. Everybody went to lunch, came back. Judge Newman read the instructions for the jury. They went out, uh, let's see, Shortly before four. Shortly before four on Thursday afternoon. And now, it, uh, as we record this, it's six, a uh, little after six on Thursday. And when will it come in? They have said that they, it's, it's, they say they're going to go this weekend if they can't wrap it up. That hasn't been completely Official. confirmed. I've seen, both, I've seen reports on both sides. We know that they are going to deliberate tonight until 10 p.m. Oh, to get to get officially now till yes, ten, till, till ten, 10. Uh, and you know, is that the longer it goes on, I think the better it is for Alec. I mean, I don't know how long it has to go on to be better for him, but it would it would seem to me if you think he's if it's a full guilty vote, it wouldn't take as long, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously now we're a couple hours in and we don't have a verdict, so they. I'm sure the first thing they probably do when they get back is everyone, you know, cast their vote and. Mm -hmm. If everyone said guilty, then... Unless they want to have a, a dinner on the state. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks to everybody here. We'll be talking more to you. But thanks to everybody in Walterboro. It's been so super cool to us. It's, it's very appreciated. Yeah, the Becky Hill guy, Becky. she has helped us with the press pass, and we really appreciate her. And uh, her daughter sang beautifully last night at a, a thing that Joe uh, put on for... You know, the media, he calls it, what, what did he call it? The uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, and we will post a link to her music so that y'all can check it out. Very good. Murdoch Podcast on Facebook. MurdochPodcast.com. We know we're way behind answering things. We'll get to them. And Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. We'll talk soon, friend. I'm an American vigilante.
I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com. <laughs> <laughs>